0: Afghans are some of the warmest, friendliest people I've, I've ever met, and it was kind of like love at first sight. Like I just, I just kind of fell in love with this, this place.
1: Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 22, and it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, The Documentary Life Podcast, and The Documentary Academy, our industry-changing A to Z documentary filmmaking program that will transform you into the documentary filmmaker that you've always wanted to be. Find out more at thedocumentarylife.com documentarylifecom academy. Some of you may know of my guest today or already have seen his recent documentary film, Saving Messinac, which is currently available on a number of digital platforms, including iTunes, Amazon, and Netflix. If you're unfamiliar with Brent Huffman or his film work, let me start out by giving you a little bit of an intro. Huffman has directed, produced, written, shot, and edited documentaries and long-form videos for a variety of outlets, including the New York Times, National Geographic, CNN, PBS, Al Jazeera, just to name a few. His published written work has included the likes of CNN, The New York Times, Asia Society, Frontline, and Salon, again, just to name a handful. Huffman has been making documentaries examining life within China and China's recent push into Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. Saving Mazinak, his recent documentary, is about an ancient archaeological site in Afghanistan threatened by a Chinese state-owned copper mine. The film was awarded a $100,000 MacArthur Foundation grant in 2013 and a $50,000 Riva and David Logan Foundation grant in 2015. Saving Mesinac premiered at IDFA, the largest documentary film festival in the world. He currently is an associate professor at Northwestern University, where he teaches documentary theory and production as well as long-form video storytelling in the undergraduate and graduate levels. He specializes in international documentary filmmaking in Asia, Africa, and the Middle East. Huffman's work speaks to me on a number of levels. And I think we'll speak to many of you doc lifers who may also be doing your first film or two with a decidedly DIY approach, perhaps in a developing country or in a culture where your native tongue may not be spoken. Similar to what I did with my first documentary, Journey to Kathmandu, Huffman was producer, cinematographer, sound, and editor for his film, Saving messinak And it was also shot in a developing country, in this case, Afghanistan. So it is with great pleasure that I bring to you my shared conversation with fellow documentary filmmaker, Brett Huffman. Brett, welcome to the show. I'm glad to have you joining us here on TDL. Thank you so much.
0: It's great to be here.
1: You know, I I think that I first came by you and your work via your, your Twitter account actually or someone else's tweet perhaps. It was about your documentary Saving Mesanak, which I looked up pretty quickly realizing that it, it seemed to definitely be the kind of work that I can I tend to be drawn to if not work on myself. Of course, I've been following your Twitter feed, you know, ever since and greatly appreciate sort of the journalistic bent to a number of your tweets. How have you found Twitter and other social media platforms? How have you found it in regards to getting your film and the message of saving Messinac out there?
0: Yeah, boy, that that's a great question. You know, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of both Twitter and Facebook, uh, especially as, as you mentioned to connect. You know, specifically to audiences. You know, to to interesting people, um, and you know, especially people that are. You know, kind of spread across the the globe. You know, um, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's you know it's it's really kind of magical to you know post something and then get you know people from fifty different countries all kind <laughs> totally. of commenting and retweeting. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think yeah. I think people people that don't understand um, you know social media, I think, don't understand that aspect that it's not it's it, it really isn't frivolous. You know, it's it's mm. you know it's it, it's amazing. I think to um in in one moment get everyone on the same page and hear lots of different you know perspectives and and for something like you know the the May Sinek film you know to to spread awareness to get the word out on something you know very quickly and you know like, like i mentioned instantaneously ac- across the you know globe um it, it's it's pretty amazing
1: what part do you think social media directly plays in a documentary filmmaker's lives i mean You've experienced it, obviously, very much so with with this particular film. Why is it important for a documentary filmmaker to take advantage of of of, of say uh, social media the way that you have?
0: Yeah. So I mean, uh, there's probably more than one answer, but I, I think you know maybe maybe um, first step is to you know to build um, you know to kind of build an audience for your you know for your film. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and uh, it was especially true for for Saving May Sinek. Um, you know, the the film initially started before the MacArthur Grant with a with a Kickstarter, you right. know, uh, uh, you know, um, fundraising campaign. Um, and and I, I, you know, Kickstarter, like you mentioned, I'm very I'm very you know uh, DIY. Um, and the, you know, the Kickstarter campaign was was really just me, um, which I never you know to your audience, don't ever start a Kickstarter campaign when it, you're just a, a one man person. Cause, um, boy, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. But it's I, it's I a
1: full-time job. It really is. It's isn't it? a full
0: time. It's a full-time job. And, you know, um, when, when people aren't donating, you know, when you've got a, a slow day or a slow oh. two days, yeah, like it, it can really drive you, drive you crazy. Yeah. Um, but you know, you know, back w- with the Kickstarter, and back to social media. Yeah. You know, I think what what saved me was to to find the the niche group of people that really cared about this topic, where it was really kind of a life life or death issue, and that that really was the the Buddhist community, and you know, the spread all through through Asia. Um, uh, you know, to to them, I think they were kind of the the hardcore group of followers that really wanted. This this film to be made and and really cared about the the issue, um, and then and on top of that to connect to um, um, fans of fans of archaeology, fans of cultural heritage, fans yeah. of Afghanistan. You know, I think it just kind of builds builds and builds upon upon that. But I, I think as advice for for new documentary filmmakers, you want to find that niche group of people that you know you um, that that this topic means you know the world to them that, you know, like I said, that is this kind of life, life or death issue. Um And with, with the Kickstarter, you know, there was a, a, a Buddhist in Thailand who had never met me. We'd never communicated who just donated $10,000 um, <laughs> because of the cause. Yeah. And it really, it, it really kind of saved the, saved the, the, well, the camp.
1: And that's the thing, right? They, they often say, and we experienced it ourselves in, in the last crowdfunding campaign we did with um for our film, Elvis of Cambodia. We experienced a similar thing, whereby someone we had never met before, um, almost like this idea of oh, like they, they call an angel investor, right? Someone just came out of the blue and and, and threw a, a, a substantial chunk of money down. And and, and and we had no idea how this person knew about us and knew about our film and what the connection was, was. and And they say when you run a crowdfunding campaign like this, that it usually takes one or two of those people that really come out of nowhere, that throw something substantial. And it really kind of creates this energy and propels your campaign in the direction that you need it to go. So that's awesome to hear that you had a similar situation
0: yeah and that that, that you, that's exactly right the way you just describe it is it it kind of reinvigorates uh a campaign makes it kind of uh, exciting for everyone again and i you know th- this this person you know did find the story through social media so that, that kind of comes back to um you know creating a twitter account creating a facebook page for for your film and then really you know as much as you can trying to, to connect it with those with these international groups that you know Um, really care about your topic. I think if you don't do that, it it just would be everything would be difficult. Right. Um, Yeah, much more difficult.
1: As documentary filmmakers, it's a big it is a big avenue nowadays for raising funds. And one of the things I, I just feel like I want to throw out there and you can add to this is that it's important for anybody who is first doing a campaign like this. Make sure. You know, you mentioned start a Twitter account, start a Facebook page, but it's important that you're doing those things. The social media aspect of it, you better be doing that well before your campaign because you need to have that up and running before you start your campaign because you need to have you need to be kind of cultivating awareness and cultivating an audience. I believe before that Kickstarter campaign happens, if you're going to be using a social media strategy approach, would you agree with that?
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And, you know, you have to build, build trust and build rapport with, with your audience. Yeah. So you're not just, yeah, you, you, you got to make it clear that you, you haven't just created the campaign to to fund, (laughs) to fund your film. And, and that, that's an, that's an important note. Like, um, uh, the, the Facebook page for May Masonic has, I think, um, almost, you know, 110,000 fans. Amazing. Uh, and, and and the fans what the fans really love are like um, you know pictures of of uh, you know um, Buddhist discoveries in Afghanistan of the, the Bamiyan Buddha pictures you yeah know, uh, b- part of what you're doing is really kind of learning what your what your niche kind of uh, audience cares about and what they want to you know what they want to see so I think part of part of the the social media I think is educating yourself too about you um, who the fans are, what they, what they really care about, what they're really interested in. And I think the more you can kind of play to what they care about the, you know, the, the farther you can reach, uh, you know, into that, into that group.
1: Brent, where did the interest in journalism and documentary come from? And, and, and sort of, when did you start practicing the craft?
0: Yeah. So, so good question. I mean, I think, um, you know, as a, as a, as a student, even back to like grade school and high school, like I was, I was always interested in, um, anthropology. I was really interested in, in painting. I, I, I used to paint a lot. Um, uh, and I was in, interested in, in journalism and reporting. Um, and, uh, you know, I was, I was lucky to kind of discover documentary and, and to me, it, it kind of combined everything I loved about these, uh, you know, these individual, um, forms of expression. Mm. Um, and then, you know, I, I think what I love about the media more than anything else, um, uh, is the is the actual production the like you mentioned the the you know do it yourself um, kind of aspect um, you know to me if there's a, a story that I read about um, and especially um, uh, a culture of people that uh, you know I come to care about and yeah. fi- you know find really interesting you know documentary is a way to. To to get there and to oh kind of, man, uh, totally. <laughs> totally yeah, um, immerse yourself in in a, a story and a culture in some ways that you would never be able to otherwise. That you would never. That's right. There would be no avenue to like yeah. you know be- become part of this family essentially, and, <sighs> and you know,
1: I mean, it's it's part of the addiction for people like you and I, isn't it? I mean, we're we're already interested in 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 other cultures and interested in exploring that and, and the documentary platform. It's like there's the finished film, of course, but man, I, 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 I'm sensing this is probably the case with you as it is with, with me, that that the documentary, the film at the end of the day, of course, the film, what you end up with, but man, it's, it's the process and the people and the exploration and the cultures that you delve into. That whole process is really what drives me.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, in agreement. Yeah. I mean, take, you know, as you know that, you know, a lot of documentaries are edited by someone that in some cases is, is no part of the, the film. Um, right. you know, and, 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 in a lot of ways that takes everything, you know, kind of a special about the process, um, you know, away in a sense to, to never be kind of a part of, you know, the, the human story and the, the lives and the people you get to meet. Right. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. That's,
1: that's, that's everything to me, too. the yeah. How did the interest in Afghanistan happen for you?
0: Yeah, Af- Afghanistan, so I, I first went back in 2004 and I actually covered the the um, as a, as a student, I covered the uh, the, the presidential elections for for oh, wow. a, a piece for PBS, uh-huh. uh, and it was my first time, you know, in in the country. Um, and it's you know, it, it's just a beautiful, incredible place. the 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 you know, Afghans are some of the warmest, you know, not to talk in stereotypes, but they're some of the warmest, friendliest people I've I've ever met. <laughs> and it was kind of like love at first sight. Like I just I just kind of fell in love with this this place. Um, you know, and it, it was back, I think in 2009 when I read my first read a first story about this, this copper mine project. Yeah. Um, uh, and it was, it was a New York times story that actually, it was kind of a, a strange story that focused on the, the copper mining aspects. So there's a, there's a hundred billion dollars worth of copper, um buried in logar province at may sinek um it's taliban country it's extremely dangerous Mm um in, in the story this new york times story it talked about um you know uh chinese workers um trying to set up a compound in in this in taliban country to start the mining process it was just this bizarre story and, and then, the, you know, the, the story kind of talked about how our, our military was helping this process mm. and was providing security for the Chinese. Just this weird, weird story. Um, and then as almost, you know, um, uh, almost a footnote of the story, just just a little mention um, was the fact that there's some kind of archaeological remains um, <laughs> at, at the site that would that would, you know, will probably be destroyed. Um
1: <laughs> and there's that moment, that little little nugget that you see as a documentary filmmaker that you think, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> That's the story right there.
0: I, I I definitely felt that, but you know, I was also really attracted to of just this bizarre kind of tangled mess of of things and this this yeah. very surreal. Um I'm I'm very interested in actually in, in China's push into other countries. So right now totally. I'm looking at you and me at, both. At, <laughs> at China and Pakistan. Yeah, I mean they're they're everywhere, you know, um, Chinese, uh, Chinese companies are investing yes. on this massive scale, like really literally everywhere you can imagine. Yep. Um, yep. um, but you know, but to take that to kind of another level to, to, to bring workers in, in, you know, a really unsafe place and, you know, um, have them kind of live their lives in this desert compound. It just, it just sounded, um, crazy. Um,
1: it's so, almost, it's almost science fiction esque. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, right. Right. <laughs>
0: totally. It sounds like. Yeah. Like. I'm. Am I missing something that doesn't sound possible yeah. or legal or yeah, cr- crazy story. Um. So then, kind of like you mentioned. Um. And, and I. And I think. Uh, one way documentary has changed. I think maybe maybe since you and I have have started working. Or one one big change is that you know if you want to get an international story funded, you've got to shoot some of it first. So right. you, you can't get, you can't get big funding, um, on an idea alone. Right. Um, or at least that that's been my, my experience. No,
1: I, I think that's 99% of the, the cases nowadays that it's been that way for about a decade now, I would agree with you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it didn't used it didn't used to be this, this way, but you know, some, some things that our predecessors used to do was just make, make stuff up, make up subjects, make up, uh, <laughs> you know, and then hope when they got there, that you know, they'd find some of those, those kind of things. Um, but, but now I think, you know, if you want to do this international storytelling, you know, you have to, you have to find a way to get your, you know, get your boots on the ground. Um, and that was, you know, the the older I get, I think I'm for, for probably worse, I'm attracted to, you know, difficult stories and especially (laughs) stories that, that seem impossible. Like, you know, so much with the story I was told, you know, you, um, it can't be done. You know, you'll never get access to the Chinese compound. You'll oh, never sure, get access yeah. to, M- to Mace Inic, Right. It's, it's too dangerous. It's, um, you know, and, and people people even said, you know, that it's, it's just not interesting, that this story is not interesting. Um,
1: well, let, okay. So, so let, let's back up for a second. Sure. What yeah. I'd love you to do is like tee this up with, you know, a real brief um, sort of synopsis of what the film is like. That way we have a little context for our listeners, for anybody who hasn't seen it. And then we, and then we can continue. So tell us, tell us a bit about what the film is.
0: Sure. Sure. So, so saving Masonic, it's, it's a complicated story, but essentially yeah. um, there is a, a 5,000 year old uh, ancient city Um a 2,000-year-old Buddhist site and sitting on top of a 5,000-year-old Bronze Age site, Um, an immense, you know, um, it's it's about 100 football fields in size, this immense, sprawling ancient city that will all be destroyed by a a Chinese um, copper mine. So this um, Chinese government-owned company will open pit and mine this site. So, you know, this, this whole ancient city will be turned into kind of a gigantic toxic crater um, and the, the film is about mainly about um, uh, Afghan archaeologists really risking their lives to right. try to save their own culture to save this to save this history as the as the clock is kind of constantly um, counting down and the, the Taliban are threatening them um, yeah so it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a Indiana Jones crazy kind of <laughs> Um, story in in a sense.
1: So, so you and I know this because we have worked in in countries where there there happens to be Chinese presence, whether it's political, whether it's uh, financial, Though that's always probably combined, <laughs> um, you and I have worked in these countries throughout Asia. Uh, help, some, help, help my listeners understand because it can be confusing. Why and how we talk in this, in this case, in your film, how it's how you can simply say, well, well, the Chinese have have a company that's operating here in these mi- and they're they're copper mining and they have a presence here. How does that work in these countries? Why and how do the Chinese? Have incursions into developing countries.
0: Yeah, well, we could. I think we could spend the whole.
1: Oh I God, yeah. Whole, I mean, even as I said that, I realized like, wow, we could yeah, probably yeah. talk all no, day I about mean, that. But I guess just give give a real basic understanding of um, what does it mean when we say uh, that there's a yeah. you know a, a Chinese mine in Cambodia or a Chinese road being built in Nepal or in Afghanistan? In your case, like like what does that mean?
0: Yeah. So, so, you know, really, really simply, um, you know, China, mainland China has an enormous population and they're, they're really hungry for natural resources. You know, they, they need that. They, they need natural resources as, as every country, you know, I guess, I guess does, but China has, has, um, much bigger, you know, a much bigger bank account to, to, to pay for these things. Right. Um, You know, almost any country that you can think of, there's a and it's they're not private companies. It's the Chinese government. There are there are, you know, um, government companies that are, you know, trying to um, buy and bring resources back back to China. So like literally every everywhere in Africa, the Middle East, all all over Asia, all over the United States, you know, um, uh, any any location that you can think of with something of, of value, that's there's, there's probably you know a, a Chinese company um, involved. What what's different in in Afghanistan, or you know Chinese are involved in Libya, they're involved in 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 some really volatile places. Um, you know a, a Chinese worker can't sue you know can't sue the government. It's just not possible. Um, right. so they, 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 can set up, you know, they can set up and, you know, unfortunately put their own workers in kind of dangerous situations with really no <laughs> kind of liability right. concerns. And, um, uh, so, th- you know, that, that's important to note. Um, that's a pretty amazing because,
1: thing to understand.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and, and it's not like, you know, if, if, um, you know, let's say, and, and, and people, um, Chinese workers have been killed in Afghanistan at at, at May Sinek. Um I'm looking at a, a chi- Chinese involvement. In Pakistan and workers have been kidnapped and, and killed there too. Um, you know their their families will try to get some compensation, but it's it's really it's really difficult. Right. Um. Yeah. So in some ways, these these government owned companies don't have anything to lose, or or I, I think they operate as if that's that's how they, they see it um so they can they can set up in in Taliban country and you know it's it's it, it's it's really sad and, and bizarre you know but you know when i was you know visiting this this compound in at, at May Sinek, um you know there were um workers living in this in in total isolation you know in this very volatile dangerous place um you know out in the middle of the desert just you know separate from their families and um you know it's a it's a really bad situation now now for people for people like you and I to interview um you know the the chinese companies and and interview the the workers is extremely difficult i, I don't know Indeed. if you you've <laughs> Indeed Yeah it really difficult and you know in in china there's not a culture of being interviewed or talking to a camera Right. so you know people are rightly so really cautious and um you know uh, so that, that's, that's one reason in the, in the May Sinek film, I, I would actually have loved a whole kind of, you know, Chinese segment, but it, it just, it just wasn't working out. It, it was extremely difficult to get, you know, an interview with the, with the head of the Chinese company and get on the compound.
1: You know, um, it, it's, and I'm glad that, that you say that, and it brings up something that, uh, I think that is an important thing to, to mention is that, and it was a, it was a lesson that I learned, and it was a lesson that I thought I had learned prior to this, but apparently I hadn't. And that was that, you know, over the years having worked in in countries like uh, Nepal, Indonesia, and Cambodia, and and, and seeing a Chinese presence, um, Chinese governmental and business presence in these countries. Um, really put me off to China and, and, and the Chinese as a whole. And, and it wasn't until I ended up, um, I've since been to, uh, to China in Beijing. Um, at one point I had gone sort of three years concurrently working on commercial jobs and, and it was, you know, the time in China that I spent working there was a reminder, um, of something that again, a lesson I thought I had already learned, uh, but I hadn't really, and that's you, you. can't judge a country's people by its government. It's always dangerous to do that because the time I the time <clears throat> that I had working in China, I I had a brilliant time, and, and I loved working with Chinese crews and and the Chinese people that I worked with were lovely, and uh, I had a, you know great experiences there, and and it really was a good reminder to me that you, you do you have to be careful judging a country and its citizens by its government. Does that make sense?
0: It it, it does and you know the, I mean the first thing I thought of when you said that was you know the 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 Trump government you know um,
1: Yeah. Well yeah, look at it in I reverse mean, we're, now, we're in
0: right? Same, yeah, we're we're yeah, we're in this place where you know right rightly so people are, are judging I think uh America and whether Americans it comes right. to it, whether it is yeah, based on kind of the the crazy stuff that's happening with with their own government um you know, and and my, my wife is Chinese, and so my kids are half Chinese. So. I did
1: not know that. I did not yeah, know that. Yeah, yeah,
0: so I I, I I definitely agree with you. I, I think that the issue, though, and it's just like the U.S., is, you know, there's there's a big difference between what the government does and what, you know, just regular citizens do. Yeah. Um, and, and just like I think I, I would be really critical of the, you know, American government and what's happening. You know, I, I think— um, I think the way the ways I'm critical of, of China is, is, you know, some of these issues uh, and decisions that, that, you know, that the government make and some, you know, internal things happening with, within China, you know, decisions that the government make and, and the way that I think they, they affect Chinese government thinking externally, too.
1: When I first started making documentary films, I was often making them entirely on my own dime. It wasn't that it was a conscious decision on my part. I just really wanted to get out and start making my film. Does this sound familiar to you? When you have a great idea for a doc and the opportunity to get out there and start shooting, you don't want to let something like money get in the way of that. And for a while, it may not. But unfortunately, unless you have unlimited resources, eventually it will. Not having money for your doc film will slow you down, reduce your crew size, your film production values and aesthetics, even the story you're able to tell. And that's not even accounting for the additional stress, frustration, and your inability to work on the project full time. We don't accept that for ourselves anymore, and we don't want you to accept it either. Money is out there for every documentary film, and that includes yours. Every day, money is donated or awarded to documentary films. Why not yours? The trick is in knowing where to look for it and how to secure it for your film. In the Documentary Academy, we have the most comprehensive funding module that you will find anywhere in any course on fundraising for your documentary film. We cover the A to Z on raising funds for your film so you will never again be left wondering where the money's coming from. Enroll in the Academy today by going to the documentarylifecom Academy and start your journey to raising 10, 25, or even $100,000 for your documentary film. Tell us about the Afghan people. Um, and, and let's, and let's talk about city versus rural areas. Obviously, um, a lot of Westerners are familiar through the press and generally negative press of a place like say Kabul, um, Talk yeah. to us about the Afghan people um, and tell us what your impressions were in both the city and rural areas.
0: Yeah. So I mean, maybe take a small step back. So, so I, I grew up in like rural Ohio and okay. you know, in, in Ohio and probably most of the U S like the, the stereotypes of Afghanistan are really, you know, um, really negative. I mean, entirely negative on honestly. And, totally. um, yeah. And, and it seems like everyone, I, I teach documentary production i teach my students that you know even educate even highly educated people carry around these negative stereotypes so th- you know the stereotype of afghanistan is you know in 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 some cases this thought that like literally everyone is a terrorist like you step off the plane and you're in a city of of terrorists where there's like you know whatever terrorists walking around you know so does th- that stereotype or the kind of flip side the the, the weeping mother whose child has just been killed the the like the suffering victim stereotype um so I, <laughs> right. so what, what i think it, it, it's partly our our job and I think it's a really important job that we have to break the stereotype for the audience and and really show them um the the reality so um
1: it's a big part of what we do isn't
0: it it is yeah and I think if if we if we fail at, at that i think um it's you know it's it's maybe impossible to, to reach an audience. Um, so, you know, and in, 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 in describing what Afghan people are like, it's going to sound like stereotype, I'm talking in <laughs> stereotypes again, probably, or that I'm kind of romanticizing um, a yeah. little bit. Um, but, but you know, the thing I've, I found in in Kabul is that, um, you know, the, the Afghans I meet are, you know, highly intelligent, very educated, very aware of um what's going on, you know? So in this May story, they've, they've heard about the, the story before, you know, can sort of ask, you know, could ask an in-depth question uh, uh, about mm-hmm. it, um, you know, and, and the, the, the culture, again, not to sound in like I'm talking in stereotypes, but yeah. the culture overall is, is very warm and very friendly, you know, um, as a guest in, in, in the country, you know, um, it's not uncommon for a stranger that that maybe can't afford it, you know, but will you know invite you over, you know, right, you know, feed you, um, give you a place to place to stay. Um, and I've and I've traveled all over the world, and I, I think I've I've never been to a country so just so kind of giving and um, friendly. And and in in Kabul especially, like you know, y- young people are extremely interested in the the U.S. and American films and American music. You know, they're just they're they're super curious. And, um, so, so my experience has been overwhelmingly positive. Um, and and in, in, you know, in rural areas too, I I think, um, you, you know, rural areas and I grew up in rural Ohio, you know, where people could be kind of, you know, isolated and cut up, cut off. You know, I think, I think more, more of that happens in, you know, rural Afghanistan. Sure. Um, but, you know, I honestly encountered the, the same kind of thing, this uh, curiosity, warmth and, and, and friendliness. You know, one, one thing, you know, again, to go back to the, the terrorism stereotype is that, you know, the, the Afghan people are victims of terrorism. And I use the word victim, um, which maybe isn't the best word. But, um, the, you know, the, the Taliban is an external gang, basically. So they're, they're not they're, they're not an Afghan entity. Right. It's, it's right, almost right. like, you know, I am in I'm in Chicago and there's it, it'd be almost like uh, if if a, a, a out of state gang, you know, came in and, and tried to take over. Right. That's basically what, what the Taliban are. So there's this big kind of, uh, you know, the stereotype that Afghans themselves are, are, are terrorists. It, it's kind of completely misunderstanding the situation. Really, they've been victims of, you know, over 30 years of war from the, you know, Soviets, you know, from from outsiders the you know, Russians and Americans, yeah. and, you know, the Taliban. Uh, but but yeah, o- overall, just incredibly warm and, and curious. And and, and and that's one thing I really wanted to highlight in the, in the film was that. So so I'm not a, I'm not a character. I'm not a character in the in the film. Right. Uh, it, it's really almost exclusively told through subjects and mainly, uh, you know, uh, Qadir Tamori, um, this archeologist that, that, um, is at May Sinak um, and is, and is just really, really kind of passionate and wonderful. And, uh, he has four, four kids and he's, he's daily risking his life to try to, to try to save this threatened, um, cultural heritage. And he's getting, you know, death threats from the, the Taliban sent on you know, Via text message on his cell phone, he's not getting paid. You know, mm-hmm, there's all kind of drama mm-hmm. at the site, but yet, you know, he he, you know, he he continues to, to go to work, and is just a really kind of in, inspiring um, person.
1: Well, let let's talk about archaeologists, and and let's talk about fixers and translators. Um, I noticed that you have your fixer translator, uh, Najibullah, listed in the credits at the bottom of the movie poster which is really great to see. Honestly, I, myself, I, I regret not having done the same, um, for listeners of the show who have yet to have shot a film in a developing country and, and maybe where the language spoken is not their own. Uh, tell us of the importance of the fixer or translator in your work. Um, tell us about your, you know, your relationship with Najibullah.
0: Yeah. So, so, so I met, I met, uh, Najib back in, uh, 2004 and, you know, uh, He's just this incredibly wonderful person. So he he used to be a surgeon, so he actually could tell all these stories about, (laughs) you know, taking bullets out of people and saving people's lives. And he's just this, you know, these these just incredible stories. And um, uh, around, I think, um, maybe 2003, he started working with – you know, journalists and photographers and, and documentary filmmakers and, and that kind of thing. And he's really kind of he's kind of a, a, a quiet, unassuming person, but just has this, you know, really big heart. And, and um, one thing that's maybe most important, especially if, if you're working in a country, you know, like Syria or Yemen or Afghanistan or Iraq or something um, where, you know, s- security, you know, there's, there's security issues is you've really got to trust your fixer with your life. So you know when, when you ask you know how can we get access to someplace or how how we, how we do something, you know the the, the the fixer's role, you know really couldn't couldn't be overstated. they're, they're, they're so kind of uh, essential in you know keeping you alive and keeping you safe right. And then in, you know in Najib's instance too, I think I think because he's he's such a person of integrity that that people come to trust him and, and I think he you know he's really great in getting kind of access to, to situations that you know would, would be really difficult to get to get access to and 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 not like in a in a hollywood producer kind of you know bull in a china shop kind of oh, way yeah. but it, oh yeah kind have the exact opposite this this very this very right. gentle yeah um so he's kind of a, he's kind of a miracle worker Yeah, a
1: miracle um, worker i i i mean i just i i know who you're talking about man i i can i can completely relate uh my fixture, fixer translator in Cambodia, who I, you know, I first began working with him in, in 2004, and have since used used him many times in other projects, and, and he's become a dear friend of mine. Um, he's he actually he's one of the preeminent archaeologists in Cambodia. Uh, oh, wow. this, this kind of film and story, you know, it, it makes it makes me think of him, and and it would be heartbreaking to him to see this sort of thing happening. Though I also you know I also suspect it, it would not be entirely surprising since. You know, for him, the Cambodian government has had its own, you know, well well documented issues with corruption and, and the integrity of its of its historical landmarks. I, I remember, I remember a few years back, uh, Hun the prime minister of Cambodia, w- was extremely angered. Uh, when he'd heard that a landmine removal agency had, had basically cleared landmines from from around the historical ancient city um, called Priya Vihir, which which borders with, with Thailand, and, and, and you may may or may not know. And, and the Thai government had been trying to lay claim to this area for years. Essentially, Sen felt that it was, in his opinion, it was better to keep the temples lined with mines in order to keep the Thais from trying to lay claim to the lands you know, instead of, instead of having the history of the temples be discovered by archaeologists and then the temple shared with with the public um yeah a, lo- a lot of crossover but 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 to your point uh about the importance of the of the fixer translator um <clears throat> I feel like from now on uh I will definitely think more about about putting someone like uh, like um like uh you know my my fixer translator in the credits of the film i, I, I love that you did that
0: yeah yeah no I mean and and there are often these 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 unsung heroes of these you know of the New York Times and the Washington Post and you know in in a, in a lot of cases they you know they they're doing um, you know so so much of the work Al Qaeda Shirp you come to that is that to milat hukumat bo mukhabil ke reportasoida da hukumat masulata da mantika ka chere la cinayanu narazi wi da tolo mantika He's saying if people were no, no, happy with
1: then. In... The... <laughs> he's saying please uh, we don't translate it. This part that he said. In the film, there's a moment where where one of the local elders is he's he's basically saying on camera that Al Qaeda is practically a a, a, a a construct of the Afghan government. That in effect, whenever the Afghan feels any any afghan government feels any resistance from its people in this case the communities who will be destroyed by the chinese copper mines those who disagree or rebel against i guess the will of the afghan government um are called are called so by the government are called al-qaeda it's a it's a very interesting thing for a westerner to hear right it's it's quite a perspective hearing a citizen of his country speak so brazenly and negatively about his own government. And even speaking of Al Qaeda in this fashion, as if it's a construct of the Afghan government in order to cover up, you know, how its own people may maybe really feel about, about the government. First off, um, why, and how did you come to, to, to the decision sort of to include this footage in, in the film? You know, your, your fixer on the man on camera asks you not to use what he's saying, right? Yes, why why they, would they say right, this? He you know? said,
0: don't. Yeah, don't. Uh, the, the, the person, the person says that um, rockets are being fired. Mm. You know, uh, he said, if we were happy with the Chinese, why are we firing? You know, why are rockets being fired at the Chinese compound? And then he, <laughs> he, he says, yeah, don't put them, don't." He specifically says, don't put that part in. And I do. I do put the uh, I, I do leave it in only because I think it's so, it's so important. Yeah, I mean um, it's a
1: great, it's a great, it's a great moment. It, it it's very revealing. Um, yeah. So so
0: he he's actually lost his village. So his village actually had already been destroyed. So he he's kind of speaking because he's got nothing nothing to lose. Wow. Um, you know, and and in some ways, I think he's he's being kind of cautionary tale to to other. And I think that's why I included in the you know in the film is this cautionary message is is that these um, and it's not just like it's not just Chinese companies or the afghan government you know it's any any government any company you know you you've got to be you got to be so careful with the things that they promise you you know um and and obviously there's a huge difference between what's what's promised and what's going to be delivered right and basically you know these villagers lost you know 500 a thousand year old villages you know forever where there were you know cemeteries and mosques and this long this long history and, and those villages are gone and they were they were promised these kind of big and amazing things and and got nothing and
1: and now there's you know, nothing left to show and they've lost their history now in culture right
0: right they've they've lost they've lost everything and and what you know uh, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say there's no al qaeda in afghanistan but yeah. what he's saying is 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 true in that the the government and all, all governments do this you know will will lump everyone together you know so these people that have um lost lost their rights and have no other means you know um to defend themselves other than you know protesting or speaking out
1: mm. you
0: know, lots of governments will will lump those people together as you know um, as dangerous or you know um, and it, you know it, it happened in our own country with the you know Dakota Dakota access pipeline right which which there are huge parallels i mean it's almost the same story what what happened there you know um and and what's happening in in Afghanistan you know there there were protesters there there were documentary filmmakers being being locked up you That's know right. being pr- prosecuted and um yeah so uh, yeah so i mean uh, just enormous parallels between what what's happening there you know even though i think you know trump kind of fast tracked that all yeah. you know to the the kind of tragic end um and ironically trump is trying to fast track mining in Afghanistan too so the parallels kind of don't end with the the essential story um but no i think that's why i you know end up including in the film because i think there's 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 a lot of truth in what you know what what he's saying you know uh, about the 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 government kind of branding you as a as an enemy Mm -hmm. and all you're doing is is just you know fighting for your home and fighting for you know food for your family and you know these kind of things
1: Brent, something that I hope um inspires my listeners, and and you mentioned this earlier, is 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 the DIY approach that you employed with the film. You shot, produced, edited, and and ran sound. It's not a big sort of budgeted looking film, if you will. And that of course is not a knock on it on the film at all. I took a um a very similar approach to Mind Paul uh, Journey to Kathmandu. The environment, the subject matter, uh the the sensitivity for size of a film crew and or equipment it really it really necessitates the approach and aesthetic. Uh, would you agree with that?
0: I, I would, yeah. And you know, um, for for this for this project too, you know, um, you know, I, I I teach, so there. I think there are a lot of you know aspiring students that would have loved to to come with me and that yeah. would love to help out and probably would have done so for free. Yeah. But I you know I think with this with this film too, it was just. You know, it, it was so dangerous and kind of un- unknown that, yeah. you know, it, it, it felt and that's not to say, you know, I'm so glad we, we talked about fixers because, you know, um, uh, Najib was risking his life along with me and, and maybe maybe more so yeah. because, you know, he was an Afghan working for an American and that that never looks good. Um, right. You know, especially to the to the Taliban. Um, so in, in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, he was he was risking their, his, his life too, to tell this, tell the story. But that all, feel, you know, pales in comparison, I think, to to people like Kadir that were, you know, getting these these death threats on their phone, you know, saying we we know who you are and, we, you know, we know where you live and we know your, where your family lives. And if you don't Ooh, yeah. you, know, if you don't pay us, we're going to we're going to kill you. So in, in some ways, I think that, that you know, do it yourself approach to, you know, um, you're probably like 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 I am, you know. You, you want to have an active role in the cinematography. You know, you, you want to, you know, edit your own, own footage. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I, I would definitely say that the DUI, I think that the, the pros, you know, definitely outweigh the, uh, you know, the, the cons. It's, um,
1: it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I've, I've Brent, I've had to take, take a step back um, with our, with our, our current doc project. I think I mentioned Elvis of Cambodia. I, uh, I, I, I am behind the camera on on definitely I think what will end up being a significant part of it but I will not be listed as the DP. We we hired out a DP for it um and I you know I hopefully will will hire out the the editor position as well. Um but it, it is definitely uh, it's definitely been a different process um really trying to concentrate more on 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 just being the director of the film and, 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 you know, conducting all interviews and, and figuring out what that storyline and, and the threads are. Um, it's definitely been a different, a different approach. Um, I think every, and you know, this, I think every film is different. Uh, you know, when I talk about journey to Kathmandu or somebody, if somebody hasn't seen it and and, and maybe I, I give them a copy or, or, um, somebody has seen it and wants to talk about, I've always, I've always had this thing where I preface it by saying, you know, just so you know, that was one of my, you know, first ever documentary projects and blah, 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 blah. And, and I really have had to kind of coach myself to stop saying that because, and and I say it because I'm afraid of how they might maybe judge something like the cinematography, right? Um, and, and, and I really need to, to stop doing that because it was definitely a film that, you know, as I mentioned, mentioned with you, the, the, aesthetic was, was, was really a product and the DIY approach was a product of sure. Uh, finances are a part of that, but also, you know, in your case and in my case, when we're working in these sensitive environments, having a crew is not going to work. That's, I mean, just having you there on the ground with your camera, it creates some sort of a change. Um, you have to be really careful. And so, when I really think about it, I need to stop apologizing for journey to Kathmandu and think, you know, that's that film is what it was supposed to be. And, and it would not have been the film that it is if I would have had a larger budget or if I would have had an actual crew size on that.
0: Yeah, no, and I I think you're right. You know, you know, different, different films, you know, kind of necessitate different things. And certainly you know the, the big negative of the DIY DIY approach is that you know you you have to do everything you know yeah. and that can be that, that can be pretty awful sometimes especially when there's there's technical issues or sound issues. Sound and, baby,
1: sound. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. And you got you you exactly what you mentioned. Like you've got to ask you're asking the questions too when you're thinking about the story and it can be, you know, it can it can be um, overwhelming. Um,
1: yeah.
0: But when you know part of that makes me think of uh, you know Hooligan Sparrow if you if you saw. That you know, yeah. um, uh, shot in China. I mean, that, that's a good example of you know, it, it re- the film really couldn't have been done any other way. Absolutely. Um, and there's there's you know there's an there's an intimacy and there's um, there's an empathy of you know a, a, of kind of filmmaker has the camera and the, the camera are literally the filmmaker's eyes and you know that as a storytelling device I think can be can be really powerful. But yeah, it's 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 certainly not the way every Every film should, should, should work or should function.
1: You were able to obtain two rather significant grants for this film. Um, As I mentioned earlier, one for, for a hundred K via the, the MacArthur foundation and another via uh, 50 K via the, the Riva and David Logan foundation. That's pretty amazing stuff. So, you know, let me restate that. That's the stuff of dreams for documentary filmmaker. First off, why did you feel that you'd, you know, why did you think you'd have a shot at something like the MacArthur Foundation grant to begin with? And and, and for my listeners, maybe you could explain a bit about MacArthur, who it's attendant for, and why it's, you know, considered such a prestigious award.
0: Yeah, so so MacArthur is is this legendary, incredible organization. They, they, they also put out the the genius grants where I think, I think uh, a genius grant is 400 and some thousand, you know, no strings attached. Um, and then that, that's not, that's not what this, this was a hundred thousand but, dollars, but similarly like um, no str- strings attached, they, they don't, um, they'll, they'll never give you creative advice. I mean, I, I think their only main concern is they want it to, you know, the film to be available, you know, um, for free ideally to, to a wide audience. Right. So that, um, you know, P- PBS is kind of their, their, the the ultimate home that they, they want films to end up on. I mean, to take, to take one step back uh, both of those grants happened really late in the, the film's life.
1: Right. I kind um, of assumed that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which was, which was obviously really not, you know, not ideal, but hmm. when they, when they did get involved. So, you know, the MacArthur grant kind of happened when, you know, really 85% of the production, if not more was, was finished. So the majority of the film had been, had been shot and, you know, I, I had done a lot of editing, um, already. So that, that's really where the, you know, um, Kickstarter and the crowdfunding come in. So to kind of, to get me to that place. And I never expected that those, you know, that those grants would, would come, you know, come through and would happen. Wow. and the, the, the real, you know, the, the, with MacArthur, there there is a new um, journalism grant hmm. um, but for the, the the grant that I had got you know the, their documentary grant has actually gone away um, okay but it's 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 come back in this in kind of this this different
1: form so different guys okay I,
0: yeah so I think that's that's exciting. I mean it was it seemed like really bad news when this fun, you know fund of money disappeared so yeah. um, so the, the good news is it's come it's come back. What would tell?
1: I, I, walk us through that day. What was that like when you received received notification that that, uh, that you were going to be awarded the MacArthur?
0: It's it's a process, but you I mean you do you do get that stage where mm. you either you know you either get it or you or you don't. You yeah. I did get an email. Um, um you know the, the thing I, the thing you know I would tell your your listeners their kind of advice is that um, like nobody wants to give money to someone that they that they don't know and that they don't know well. Um, so, you know, I think that's the, that's the big, uh, advice is that, you know, if you're just kind of cold applying for a grant okay. and you know, the, the people running the grant don't know you as a, as a, as a person, I, I think much more of this happens in kind of a, you know, in, in more of kind of a personal, emotional way. Like we know this person, we know their work and we're going to fund this new project. Um, as opposed to somebody has a great idea and they deserve money, yep. you know, if that, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. You should long be in contact with these people whether it's asking questions about the grant or the process or and this is what you're saying, right? I mean this is kind of what, exactly, what we've yeah. been and our approach to it. Yeah. And
0: even better if there's any opportunity like if they put on some MacArthur puts on some event, you mm-hmm. know, try to meet the meet the people, introduce yourself, you know. Oh wow, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the the more they know you.
1: Did you do this Brent? Did you did you go to an event?
0: I did. Yes, yeah. and I and I and I um I was lucky to get kind of one-on-one contact
1: with. Oh, that's um, all right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then with, with the, 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 Riva Reva and, and David, uh, the, the David and Riva Logan um, foundation grant, David Logan was at the, at, at full frame as you saw the, saw the finished film mm. at full frame. And mm. then like, just, just, actually came up to me in an elevator and started talking to me oh that's the best <laughs> um but but i mean the funny funny story is he he asked me he he asked me something like what what would you do with a hundred thousand dollars um and i gave i gave the wrong answer then no um, way <laughs> I, gave, yeah, I, I i totally i blew it i blew it in the elevator uh so that that funding actually t- didn't come through until i don't know
1: well, how, yeah, how did you find out later on that? Uh, oh yeah, hey, remember that conversation we had in the elevator? You gave me the wrong an- answer at the time.
0: Well, I no, I, I he never he never said that. He never said I gave the wrong answer. I just know yeah. I
1: know I did. You um, okay?
0: And, and that that's another thing. You know, that's another uh, a bit of advice is yep. is to know what they want to what they want
1: to hear. Totally. You know? Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. So like with MacArthur, if you said, well, you know, we're going to make this film for HBO, like right, right away, you're dead in the water. <laughs> yeah,
1: right. They don't
0: they don't they don't like what HBO does, you know, it's, because it's because it's this model of, you know, you know, you have to buy HBO and it's expensive. But you would never you would never know that. Like, you know, I love HBO documentaries. So you never know that was like that's right. You know, that was the answer that would that would blow things that um, would set them
1: off. Yeah, right. And, right.
0: And the, the, the answer that I gave, the wrong answer I gave Logan was, uh, you know, Base, basically this answer of, you know, I would give it to the archaeologists. And that, that is not what they,
1: <laughs> that's oh, not what they want. Oh, wow. Right. Yeah, and that's we, not, I can that's... see why you would say that though, right? I mean... Yeah, right. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I don't, I don't feel, feel bad that, you know, it wasn't like a, you know, yeah um, like I, I said, I said the wrong thing, but it's it's not, it's not what they want. Like they, you know, um, the, the and I'm sure you know this, but the, the, non nonprofit world, I mean, they, they want to, they they not only want to know you, but they they want you know you have some partnership with some other nonprofit that they trust and um,
1: yeah, you know, those things build on I, itself like the same way with festivals, right? Yeah, and yeah,
0: because of their own stakeholders, like the the, the way that the the money has to be handled and reported on, like it, it's just much more complicated than than you know than than what it sounds
1: like. Has the success of the film surprised you at all? And, and and when I mean success, I mean in terms of the amount of places around the globe where it's screened. Um, you have well over a dozen festival awards. It's been broadcast on television throughout the world. This kind of success—did you see this coming?
0: No, no, never, you know, <laughs> never. And it's still, you know, um, you know, just just last month, you know, um, CNBC did another huge, huge story. You know. Um, uh, international
1: business times. Like yeah. it's, 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 yeah, I saw the CNBC story. Right, right.
0: Yeah. It's it's just, it's constantly a, a huge, a, important, um, story.
1: Well, um, I, I mean, I have to ask how to, how, and, and does an activist element in the film play into how you would define its success? And what I mean by that is, you know, did you set out to stop the Chinese from mining Messinak, or set out to get the Afghan government to reconsider the deal that they were, that they had made? So we,
0: yes, yes. Um, I mean that, that, that sounds, that sounds like I assumed I had the, the power. Yeah. Right. Right. Itself. I mean, it's super lofty like, of I, course. I <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I still don't, you know, and I think, um, you know, if and, and when the site the, the site is destroyed, like I, I will feel like I, like I failed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah.
0: Um, you know it, this, this is a super morbid thing to say, but you know, sometimes I, you know, I, I wonder if and this is kind of an awful thing to say, I guess, but you know, if, if if something did, if I was killed by the Taliban, at the yeah. side, that probably would have, that would have saved the site probably, oh, oh. you know, like it, it would take, it would take something on, on that level, you know, like we talked about, I have, I have two, two young kids. I obviously don't want that to, to happen. Yeah. Um, but when, you know, when I first visited the site, I, I did think, you know, no one knows about this. No one knows this is going to happen. Totally. Um, and it's not just that. Five thousand years of priceless history was going to just be erased from the history books forever. I mean, it, it actually wasn't just that; it was that, you know, um, this this whole area was going to, you know, is going to become this toxic crater where yep. drinking water and rivers that flow in it. Kabul and flown to Pakistan, yeah. they'll, they'll be polluted forever. No one can ever return to this area again. Yeah. You know, H- hence the earlier
1: North Dakota Access Pipeline mention.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's same story, right? Cultural heritage disappeared, environment being, you know, permanently destroyed, you know, people losing their human rights, exact same, exact same story. So I, I did feel this obligation to, you know, um, you know, I have to get this story out there. Um, and, and, you know, part of that was. Like there, there was a short New York Times op docs I did, you know, and I've been interviewed on CNN and mm-hmm. some other outlets. And and part of that was that, you know, I, I couldn't wait for the film to be finished before I kind of, uh, you know,
1: started talking about it or yeah, I started
0: yeah, talking about yeah. it and, and kind of, you know, set off this emergency, you know, signal that, you know, something terrible was was about to. You know, well, yeah,
1: timing to- wise, it's not you. you I mean, As we see in the film, it's 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 imminent at the time of filming, which now at this point is three or four years ago, and 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 of course you thought that right that that this is going to happen any minute now while I'm filming, so it makes sense to me that you were trying to have those conversations and get it out before the film could be done.
0: Yeah, and I and I think a a big part of of because you know my work and and you know a lot of other people's work, um, you know because. I think we were trying to to raise awareness, you know, that that did delay the, the destruction. And, you know, I, I,
1: it seems to be, yeah, that seems to be the case.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the, the dream situation would be that, that, you know, none of this happens at, at May Sinak, you know, that, you know, mi- mining doesn't happen there at all. I and mean, right. I, I still, you know, I, I'm still motivated by the hope that that can happen, even though that, you know, um, recently the, the, the Taliban and the Chinese government have joined forces, uh,
1: Oh which boy, is, yeah.
0: <laughs> which is just again this, this surreal news. Like, like like, can that possibly be true? But you know, the the, the, the Chinese government is, is funding the Taliban to protect this you know this operation and other you know other um, you know, mining operations and
1: <laughs> what what government uh, in and, and their Trump, right mind, Brent, would fund the Taliban? <laughs>
0: right. And Trump is president. We live in bizarre, you know, bizarre uh, times.
1: Where can my listeners see the film? I mentioned earlier a few outlets, but maybe you can let us know again where we can see this.
0: Yeah, so easiest way, you know, if if you've got Netflix, it's it's on uh, Netflix in only North America. I'm not sure if you've got listeners outside of North America. Lot, so that's plenty,
1: actually, a lot.
0: Yeah, so in North America, you can watch on um, Netflix. As you mentioned, there's iTunes and Amazon. Yes. There's a special edition DVD that's got, you know, deleted scenes and all that kind of stuff that's for sale, uh, via, uh, Icarus films. Okay. Um, uh, and then, and then overseas, uh, as, as you mentioned, um, Al-, Al Jazeera regularly, regularly broadcasts it. And there's, there's a deal with them. There's, there's a site, uh, called uh, VHX, um, where yeah. you could, you could see the film digitally that,
1: that way. That's where I've got Journey to Kathmandu, right?
0: VHX is a, is a great site because, um, I think, and I'm no, I'm no expert in this, but I think, um, they allow lots of different Um, Translations and you can easily add, add which is
1: really cool. Yeah, I love that. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, so I think that's the place where you could, if you wanted it to be translated, um, you can, you know, you have lots of options there.
1: Brent, as we close our conversation, I, I, as I close conversations like this with guests, I like to ask um, about what we hear on the show. We refer to as this idea of a documentary life, and we kind of define that as how people are living while practicing their passion of documentary films because not a ton of people truly make their entire living from doing documentary films, and, and, and I have listeners who are teachers, I, they, who work for ad agencies, plenty who work in, in the service industry, this is what keeps them afloat while they make their films, right? I work in, in commercial and corporate video as a freelance camera op, and then as a director DP through our production company. Um, how are you living your documentary life, Brent? How, how, would, you, how would you define that?
0: So that's a great question, yeah. So I mean, know, obviously I mentioned- you work
1: at the university.
0: Yeah. So, so uh, I I teach and, you know, I think the great, the great thing about, you know, teaching at a university is that I don't, I don't do the, you know, I don't do commercials. I don't really do corporate work. That's, that's not really uh, my thing. And then, you know, I can, I can really kind of, you know, devote myself to these projects that I, that I really feel, you know, passionate about, you know, and I think that's, I couldn't live any other way. Like I, yeah. You know I, the, the the documentary art form and just being able to kind of immerse yourself in um, in the lives of others, you know, in in a way that you just never could. I mean, I don't know another kind of art form that <laughs> that allows the, the you know the same kind of kind of thing. Um, it, it is it, it is something I I, I just couldn't live
1: without so so brent it it occurred to me about halfway through this conversation um that you might be somebody i'd I'd like to talk to at some point in the in the very near future uh i'm putting together a um i'm in the early stages of putting together sort of this 10-day workshop overseas um and and it's basically a workshop for documentary filmmakers who want to know what what it's what it's what it's what it's like to do Documentary film work um, in developing countries, and, and I would I would have other filmmakers be be a part of this, and it, and and you are definitely somebody who uh, who would be a really good resource and and an awesome um, instructor to have be a part of that workshop, and uh, yeah, uh, I'd like to maybe talk to you about that in the future if that's something that you'd be interested. Sure.
0: In. Yeah. Yeah. No. That 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 sounds great. Yeah. It'd be awesome to work with you.
1: Man, what a great, uh, great conversation! It, it's it's a having this conversation with you is uh, is is very satisfying and fulfilling for me personally and professionally, and I think I think that that translates well to 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 my audience. And uh, I can't thank you thank you enough for being on on the uh, on the program. The film is Saving Messinac, and uh, as as Brent and I have mentioned a couple of times, there are a number of places. Um, where you can can see the film and if all else fails please check the show notes um, at the documentary life website the show notes for this program and i'll be sure and have some i'll have some of your links up there brent thank you so much for being on the show man it was great speaking with you
0: great yeah no I, and i totally agree this was this was amazing and, and thank you so much for for doing this this has been this has been great, great you're,
1: you're welcome my pleasure man and uh we'll be talking soon huh
0: all right yeah cool okay
1: have, have a great day thanks brent take care man Don't forget, we'd love to have you join us in the Documentary Academy. Come and take a look at how we can help you make your best documentary film at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. That's thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. Thanks for listening and we'll see you soon.